and welcome to AI Spectrum, where we discuss an entire range of artificial intelligence topics. I'm Thomas Dewey, your host, and in this series, we're talking to experts across Siemens that apply AI technology to their products. Today, we are happy to have with us Shahar Asuler, who is a data scientist and machine learning engineer at Siemens to discuss object recognition in factories. Welcome, Shahar. Hi, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. So before we get into your projects, if you could tell us what inspired your personal interest in AI? Sure. I did my uh, BSc in uh, mechanical engineering, and I was working at the same time that I did my studies. And at the fourth year of the university, almost by a chance, I participated in a course about the most basic part of, of machine learning. For the first time, I find a subject which I uh, was really, really interested at in a way that I wanted to read more about it and have my side projects on that. And by that time, I, I was already working as a mechanical engineer. And I kind of understood that this wasn't that interesting for me when I looked at, uh, you know, when I compared it to this uh, field of machine learning so I decided to do a twist and like focus more on machine learning and really switched my domain. And it was like, I think, a great decision for me because now I deal with machine learning. I really enjoy the work every day. Actually, uh, there was in this course one specific uh, video that the professor showed that uh, really cut me into the, the subject of, of machine learning. So he was showing a research about uh, a bunch of robots that they were uh, designed in shape of some uh, animals, but no one actually programmed them to know how to do anything. So for example, they had like one robo spider. So that's like a, a robot in the shape of a spider, but no one actually coded it on how to progress. And what they did, they used a branch in machine learning, which is called reinforcement learning, to actually train this robot by trial and error to understand how to walk by itself. So you can see it slowly progressing and trying different stuff until it succeeds to, to walk. And that really cut me. I mean, I really thought at this moment that this is the, like the most interesting stuff I had in university until that moment. And I think that was the moment where, when I really decided I should focus on it. Well, that's great. You almost accidentally, while you were in school, I've actually seen that video in more in the context of not using programmable languages for AI, but letting the machine learn. The robot angle probably got you interested in industry and factories. So how do you see the effects of AI for the industrial industry playing out? Generally, we can see there is a big progress in machine learning algorithms and specifically in vision-based machine learning algorithms during the last years. So the technology actually matures more and more and you can see that uh, some stuff which were only for the academia a few years ago are slowly going into the industry. So, so that's one thing. I mean, the technology itself, the algorithms themselves just become uh, better and better constantly. Another thing is that industrial edge devices or real strong compute power machines are cheaper and stronger. So in order to run, so both training and use it later on just for inferencing. So just uh, making the decision at the moment of, of test time. 
so you need strong machines for that. And they used to cost a lot of money and they used to be a lot uh, weaker. But today they are stronger and stronger and really more affordable. And also when you look at sensors such as uh, spatial cameras, which have also the depth uh, channel input in them or other types of sensors, they are becoming more and more affordable too. So actually, you can take your shop floor, your factory and your robotic line and just put many sensors in it very easily. And you can use the data captured from these sensors to be input into a machine learning model and then make all sorts of, of decisions. Those two, I, I think, are the main, the main enabler, enablers, I would say, for the, for the industry to use AI more and more. And also there is a higher need because just devices are being manufactured or uh, created in smaller and smaller batches. And there is a higher and higher manufacturing variance. So up to, I don't know, like five years ago, maybe more, you would, for example, switch your smartphone, buy a new smartphone every, I don't know, like three or four, four years, maybe even more. And today, you don't do that anymore because the technology just uh, evolves faster. So maybe you switch your smartphone uh, or you place it uh, every like one or two years. So in the same way, uh, the batches in the factories are smaller and smaller and just products are being replaced faster. So this demands the robotic programs to be more easily adjustable. If you want a robot to assemble your smartphone or to manufacture something in your smartphone, it should be quicker to adjust uh, to new changes. And machine learning can actually deal with those types of problems very well. So I think that's the other side. I mean, besides uh, enabling the AI for this market, there's also like a stronger need for the, from this environment. So I guess uh, those are more or less the, the effects of, of AI in the industry currently, as I see it. You came up with some examples, but do you have some other examples specifically to how machine learning is used in factories today? Yeah, so factories today already started to use uh, machine learning to perform uh, many tasks. In my everyday, I deal more with uh, let's say vision-based tasks, so uh, uh, some tasks which are based on uh, input from a camera, but there are also m many others. So for example, you can look at uh, robotic kitting, sorting and picking. You have some kinds of unstructured environment, let's say some stuff being thrown in some bin or some box, and you want a robot to be able to uh, look at it with a camera, understand what it sees, and uh, understand how it can pick the parts and uh, place them somewhere in order to sort them or to make like uh, small kits of something. So that's uh, like uh, one branch of examples. But you can also use AI in order to perform some uh, quality tests uh, on parts or on assemblies or packages. So for example, if you have a manual or robotic line where you create different packages, then just right before you wrap everything in a box and you send it away, you can have a camera to look at the package before and make sure that no parts are missing and thus... Uh, you know, like avoid uh, uh, recalls or uh, faulty packaging. You can also use machine learning for uh, throughput analysis and bottleneck detection. So in your line, again, whether it's manual or, or uh, robotic, you can use cameras in order to understand where your bottlenecks are and then make decisions uh, based on that. Uh, maybe just redesign or adjust your shop floor in order to have like a faster cycle time. 
So that means that uh, you can do whatever your line, your robotic line needs to do just uh, quicker. And of course, you can also use uh, machine learning today for shop floor safety. So many times you have dangerous or heavy machinery inside your shop floor and you can use cameras in order to make sure that people don't get too close to danger zones. And if they do, you can actually use the input from the camera in order to automatically uh, stop the danger machine from working. So those are, uh, I think, examples which are already uh, pretty much used in the industries. But you can also look at pioneering companies uh, which already uh, started doing robotic assembly. So robotic assembly is pretty complicated to do because you need to do some real delicate movements with the robot. And if you want to do it based on machine learning, you really need a lot of training data and lots of pretty sophisticated algorithms to understand, for example, how to wire something or how to connect uh, two electrical boards uh, on one another. This is very delicate work. But we already start to see some companies having their first steps in the actual industry uh, for that. So that's actually very exciting that really you can see it again coming out from the academy to the industry. Before the machine learning, uh, people already used computer vision algorithms. We often refer to them as classical algorithms. So they are here for decades uh, already. You could have uh, compared the uh, pixels and uh, look for specific patterns of pixels in your images in the way that uh, someone programmed them. But those algorithms, they work very well on specific or, or on some use cases. But once you insert some variance with how things look on, or maybe if the camera moved a bit, then from where it was supposed to be, or a different uh, lighting condition, for example. So then those algorithms tend to sometimes fail. And when you use machine learning algorithms, they can actually generalize better because you don't explicitly code the pattern of the pixels that you're expecting, but just showing lots of lots of very high variance data to the algorithm. And the algorithm understands by itself how to generalize and how to come to different conclusions. I think the fact that we already had some classical algorithms at the shop floors until now actually helped AI and machine learning algorithms to, uh, to actually approach this industry too, because it, they already had like the use cases for them, they just need uh, the improvement and the ability to generalize and to be more uh, robust to changes. It sounds like your specialty is object recognition. And I'd kind of like to know the industrial environment probably has some real challenges for employing an AI ML kind of solution. So what are the unique challenges of the factory floor? Maybe just a moment before the challenges, we actually describe the tasks from the use case perspective. But if we want to look at it from the machine learning perspective, we generally divide it into four different uh, tasks in the, in the context of computer vision, though you could uh, actually divide it into even more and more tasks. But, but for me, there are uh, four major ones. The most basic one is object recognition. In object recognition, your image mainly has one object and the machine learning model should actually recognize just what it is. So for example, if you have an automated recycling facility and you have a conveyor just uh, bringing you uh, a new item every time, 
maybe your machine learning algorithm uh, should understand whether this parcel is made out of plastic or paper. So that's just recognizing like one label per image. So that I would say is the maybe easiest or uh, yeah, easiest task uh, from a computer vision machine learning uh, aspect. The second one is called object detection. So in object detection, you can have a number of objects within your, your image and the machine learning model should, should identify them all. And then it should estimate a tight bounding box around each one of the instances and be able to tell what it is. So for example, if you have, it's the same example as I talked about just a few minutes ago. If you have a packaging quality inspection where you use a camera to verify that your package is whole before you uh, close it and send it, then you can use the machine learning algorithm in order to verify that you have, for example, I don't know, like uh, three screws and three nuts and four rods or uh, whatever. So you could use an object detection algorithm in order to identify all of them and make sure that they are all there and in the correct place. So the third type uh, of task is segmentation. You can have either semantic segmentation or instance segmentation And in these cases, the machine learning model provides estimation at a pixel level. Um, So given an image, the model tells you for each pixel which object it belongs to. This information uh, can help you extract the object's contours, for example. When you're using the segmentation information, you can automatically, for example, decide on grasping robotic poses or even support uh, autonomous guided vehicles navigation. So if you have like a small uh, vehicle, which is autonomous vehicle that's uh, driving in your warehouse, for example, and uh, bringing uh, some items from one place to another, it should identify where its route is, where it has shelves, etc. You can use a segmentation at a pixel level for that. So I would say that these uh, three main types, that's object recognition, object detection, and segmentation are kind of solved already. So, th- I mean, if you are an engineer who knows how to deal with machine learning and you have enough data, you can probably try to, to use those algorithms without like major issues. The more complicated the task is, you will need more data, but generally those are kind of solved and working already. Now, the fourth one is a bit uh, more complicated and it's called 6D pose estimation. So in this case, for each object in the image, the model will detect its position and rotation. That's three dimension for dimensions for the position and three dimensions for the rotation of the object. So that's the exact location of, of the object in the entire world relative to the camera, let's say. This model can also be beneficial if you're aiming for autonomous robotic grasping. So once you have, again, a bin with many, many parts in it, uh, the moment you understand how each one of the parts is oriented, you can calculate more easily how you can grasp it using uh, using some gripper. This problem is actually uh, solved today for some cases, but they still have these challenges and competition many uh, every year in order to improve those results. So currently, I think this one is the most uh, complicated one, which is already employed in shop floors. And this can be very beneficial if you're aiming for bin picking. Now, bin picking, I think, is like a kind of the holy grail uh, currently in in this industry. So you have a bin and it's full of parts and you don't know 
how many parts you have there and how they're uh, really going to be ordered. And you should just use a robot in order to take those parts and put them somewhere for the next step in the, in the robotic line. So those are kind of the, the main tasks in the, from, from the eyes of the, let's say, computer vision engineer or, or the data scientist. The challenge, uh, back to your question from before, the challenge in those cases are usually, uh, is usually the data. You need a lot of data in order to train those algorithms. And just imagine that in order to collect data for this uh, bin picking scenario, you have to uh, just stop your robotic line, which actually costs money, right? Because uh, when you stop it, then, then nothing is working and the line is not producing or doing what it should do. So you need to stop the line and start taking images with very, very high variance. So you need to take hundreds or thousands of images with the different orders of the of the parts and maybe different angles and different lighting positions. After you finished doing all that, you should manually label all the images. So if you're doing an object detection task, you need to put a bounding box manually uh, around each part of each image. And if you're labeling for an image segmentation task, then you should color each pixel of the image in the color that you agreed uh, which belongs to each object. So you have to manually label this data in order to later on uh, be able to, to train the algorithm. And you can imagine that this work, uh, besides being pretty expensive, it's also very tedious and is very error prone when it's done uh, by humans. So that's often uh, like a real big challenge or an actual barrier for people to, to employ uh, machine learning uh, models in, in their shop floor. And there is also another challenge which, which comes at a later phase. So let's say you finished training your model and now you want to test its performance. So again, you should stop everything that's happening in this uh, robotic station. Then you need to deploy your model and then you need to start inserting parts in many, many edge cases, I would say, in order to make sure to measure the performance of your algorithm. And after that, let's say that you're doing bin picking, you got to make sure that once uh, the machine learning model recommends some, let's say, grasping position, that the robot can actually get to that position that it can reach there and that it can reach there without colliding the bin or colliding itself. And after it grasped it, you need to make sure that it can place it in in the in the correct place. And if you want to know how much time it will take you to like empty a bin with 10 parts or a hundred parts or a thousand parts, you need to perform this over and over many, many times. So this can be uh, also pretty expensive. And I think those two challenges are very noticeable or yeah, there are, both of them can be actual barriers for machine learning projects. Uh, they just make everything a lot more expensive and a lot more complicated. Yeah, I've heard the the grasping problem is like one of the the hardest problems to solve. Even though it seems so simple, people would yeah people wouldn't understand how hard that is. Yeah, you should actually uh, employ like a, a logic where uh, maybe like a three year old year old could employ, but for for a computer, it's actually a lot harder to to understand and to yeah to react. So we basically we've set up the challenges. Let's get into your actual work at Siemens and what you're doing to help solve some of these challenges. So actually, a major way to improve this problem with not having enough data is simply using synthetic data. 
when I'm referring to synthetic data, I'm talking about images taken from a 3D simulation by a virtual camera that's located in the simulation. So just imagine like, I don't know, a, a cartoon or something that's, uh, that's been created very well. So like, uh, you know, a 3D, a 3D movie that's uh, rendered and uh, wasn't actually filmed before. You can do uh, kind of the same thing for industrial use cases. You create a 3D simulation and then you use a virtual camera in order to uh, take images. And not only that, uh, that in this way you can take many, many images with very high variance so that they will look very, very different from each other. You can also do the annotation process because when you create a 3D simulation, you know exactly, or the, the computer, right, knows exactly where every object is located. So the annotation process can be automated by a hundred percent. Actually, instead of taking thousands of real images, you can create thousands or even more synthetic images and only take small amount of real images uh, and annotate them from the actual shop floor. And then you can perform something that we call in the machine learning world, transfer learning or fine tuning. So after a model is trained on synthetic data, you can now take the real data and just use it in order to adjust the machine learning model parameters slightly in the direction of real data, because the synthetic data doesn't look exactly the same as real data. So this fine-tuning process actually makes the model be capable to reach the same performance and the same metrics with uh, up to 90% less data than what you would usually take. That's pretty amazing. And, you know, in Siemens, we're in a unique position because we have the 3D data and the intimate acquaintance uh, with the shop floor process. So it's kind of, I would say, almost obvious that we will leverage synthetic data in order to help our customers uh, train the machine learning models more easily. This is one real main direction that uh, my team and me specifically are, are working on the last year. You know, the, the feedback from users is the, is the synthetic data generally really helps them uh, reduce the time they need in order to train models and just do those uh, quick uh, checkups with new use cases. So sometimes you really want to check if you can do something very quick before you actually decide to go on a project. When you're using synthetic data, you actually can do, you know, you can reduce the time by like 90% and really focus on the, or in the more engineering work and less on the, on the just tedious work of taking images and, and uh, labeling them. And just maybe another side note is that the more realistic the synthetic data is, the better the, the machine learning model would be based on it. So we're actually actively working on making our synthetic data more and more realistic so that the user will need to use less and less real images when uh, they combine them with our synthetic data. Yeah, that's great. Usually AI always boils down to data and that's usually the, that's usually the problem everybody has. So for the synthetic data, what do you do to validate that that data is correct? 
Right. So as I said before, we have like uh, two or we spotted two main challenges. One was uh, the how hard it is to get enough data. And the other one was how to validate your model. So actually, uh, so in order to get enough data, we, as I said, we, we use synthetic data in order to help ease the training of the model. But in order to validate uh, the trained model and how it connects to your robotic uh, software, we actually enable to connect your trained model instead of doing it with the shop floor, we're connecting it with its digital twin. So that's the, the simulation environment. You can actually connect the model to your simulation environment, make inference or use the machine learning model in order to make predictions and then tell the robot to actually go and pick those parts or make any decision based on the machine learning model in the simulation environment. And there you can perform this process as many times as you want uh, with many, many randomized initial positions and you can collect statistics and uh, you can know your average cycle time better. And after you finish doing this analytics, and maybe you have many iterations of this analytics, then you take your trained model to the shop floor and actually perform a lot less real physical checkups with this trained model. So this way you can also, uh, this removes another barrier for customers that they can actually very thoroughly check their trained model without or with minimal interference of the physical uh, robotic line. So you're, you're working with customers that have factories, they have lots of equipment. It sounds like partnerships are, are really important to solve these challenges. Yeah, definitely. Actually, we, we've discovered that this approach of partnership with uh, both uh, small startups and small and uh, larger companies is really beneficial for us, of course, but uh, also for our users, for our customers. Because many times you can see those small startups or medium startups who expertise in one specific thing uh, which they can do very well. So many times they have like experts from the academia and experts from the industry and also have a very good uh, familiarity with, with the real specific industry or, or the market itself. And they learn how to solve like specific problems very well. And when we combine their solutions with our simulation solutions, we actually get synergy. We're getting to a, a place where we improve both of their product and our product. And at the end, our users are more prone to use these solutions because it's easier for them to transfer between, for example, the industrial robotic simulation and some uh, framework in order to train machine learning or to employ already ready machine learning algorithms. So yeah, this is very beneficial for us. We are working very hard in order to synergize and partner up with the, with the many types of companies. And in this way, we also expertise ourselves with those domains. We gain the knowledge ourselves. And the next time we will encounter a new use case, then we will know how to approach it better. And we will know which startups we can approach in order to partner up uh, for this. Based on what you've seen, can you predict what you think is going to happen with machine learning in the next five to 10 years? 
Well, I don't know if I, I can predict it, but I have like a gut feeling, which is based on people I uh, speak with and uh, all of these uh, publications and blog posts that uh, that I read of where stuff might be going. So first of all, I think that that one is pretty clear. Um, industrial edge devices, which can run AI inference, are becoming better and better, which means that it will keep on being um, more economical or more affordable uh, to smaller and smaller factories. And they can also contain models which are more complex because if you have a model which is very, very complex, it needs high computation power in order to uh, to work. So the progress in, in the edge devices area is is really mind-blowing, I would say. And I definitely think that uh, this will help employ or democratize more and more AI and machine learning uh, models in, in the factory floor. Now, besides that, I think there will also be like uh, the democratization process of the technology itself from the algorithmic side. Up until a few years ago, if you would just take an engineer, which is not like a doctor in computer vision, it would be maybe harder, very hard for them to employ like image recognition or object detection tasks. But uh, since it came out from the academia to the industry, it became easier and easier for people with really basic computer vision uh, or machine learning skills to employ pretty complex algorithms because there are frameworks who make it a lot easier today and you ha- you also have more and more uh, publicly open data sets that you can use in order to train them so that's why uh, i think that uh, this will become wider and wider in the industry another thing which i don't know if it will happen in five years, I hope it will happen in five to 10 years, is uh, the branch of reinforcement learning, uh, which actually I found uh, fascinating. I hope it will mature more and more in order to be employed in the industry. Up until now, I heard two companies uh, actually say that they're using machine learning in the shop floor of their manufacturing solutions. So I Really hope that uh, this will emerge uh, more and more. Today, it's more in the world of the academia. They are making major progress and the reinforcement learning branch helps like uh, robotic assembly tasks become better and better for unseen objects. Uh, you know that uh, you can just use a robot to look at some kit of something to assemble and the robot will understand by itself how to do it and will actually be able to do it. Again, I really hope that this field of reinforcement learning will be uh, developed more and more mature in order to be employed uh, in the industry. Yeah, I think your observation about moving from academia to the mainstream to where just the average person or customer in a factory could create a solution, it, it very much parallels software development, right, to where we've gotten to the point where we have low or no code software development. And I've seen some startups in the AI area looking at low code, no code Once that happens, you know, you really have a mainstream thing that everybody can use. Thanks so much for your time. I've learned a lot about machine learning on the factory floor, and I'm sure our listeners have too. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. Thank you. 